Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skip Don Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to talk about the Billy Joel song, The Great Suburban Showdown, off of his 1974 album, Street Life Serenade. Drinking all that free champagne I guess I saw this coming down the line And I know it should be fun But I think I should have packed my gun The thing that you have to know about Billy Joel is that this guy has so, so many hits. So many, in fact, that it was difficult to think about, like, okay, we have to make a Skipped on Shuffle episode about Billy Joel. That means we have to find a song that's, you know, not a hit, not a fan favorite and overlooked in some way and has a good story behind it. And that's not easy to do when you have somebody like Billy Joel, where, I mean, this guy, it, it, it can't be overstated how many hits he has. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you pick up, you can pick up a two disc set and you will still notice there are songs that didn't make it that you're, you're like, no, that was, <laughs> I heard it on the radio and I, <laughs> I saw him, you know, I, I've maybe I've seen him like play it at his shows and it's, it's true. It's just crazy. So with with this song, we picked the Great Suburban Showdown. We're, we're we're picking a song from an album that kind that itself get kinds of get gets kind of overlooked in in Billy Joel's like catalog, but it's 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 got a unique flavor to it that makes it a little bit different than than other Billy Joel songs. So so we were able to find that. But I think that for for the casual music listener who maybe doesn't know much about Billy Joel and doesn't know much about like how much uh, how many hits he exactly has, we have to really emphasize here that that this this it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do because I mean I don't, I don't know like like how how many artists out there have so many hits that it's like almost incalculable like I think Bill, what, what Billy Joel has like thirty chart topping singles or something right it's like crazy it's probably, yeah i mean it's yeah so probably so, at least <laughs> yeah so so we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about about this record street life serenade we're gonna talk about this song and we're gonna go over his history but just just keep in mind that no one podcast episode based on on billy joel can can really do him justice when it comes to his entire catalog of music which is which is just a, an incredible feat that 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 I don't think has very many contemporaries. Got that old suburban showdown in my mind. Sit around with the folks, tell the same old tired jokes. Bored to death on Sunday afternoon. Mom and dad, me and you, and the outdoor barbecue. Think I'm gonna hide out in my room. Billy Joel was born in 1949 in the Bronx in New York City and grew up on Long Island. His father, Howard Helmut, was German and ran a textile business in Nuremberg. Helmut was Jewish, and when the Nazis came to power, his family left for Switzerland and then to Cuba because of limits on German-Jewish immigrants in the United States at the time. He did eventually make his way to the U.S. Helmut became Joel, and he worked as an engineer but he was also a classical pianist. His mother was Rosalind Nyman, and her parents had emigrated from England to Brooklyn during World War II. Joel says that his parents didn't talk much about their experiences with the war until later in life, 
and he knew very little of his father's side of the family. His parents would divorce in 1957 when Joel was just eight. As a child, Rosalind, Joel's mother, made him take piano lessons. In high school, Joel also took up boxing for a while to learn to fight off bullies, but quit after having his nose broken during a match. During this time, Joel started playing gigs in bars to make money for the family. This caused him to miss classes, and he actually didn't graduate high school. Years later, in 1992, Joel would actually finish his missing work and receive his diploma. Instead, at the time, he was more committed to making a career in music. His decision was also based on seeing the Beatles perform on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Joel plays for a small label called Kama Sutra Productions and for a producer, George Shadow Morton. He says Morton used him to record a demo of the Shangri-La's famous song, Leader of the Pack, and also on their other big hit, Remember Walking in the Sand, of which Joel's piano might be on the finished version, but he isn't sure himself. In 1965, Joel is 16 and starts playing in a band, The Echoes, who would go on to change their name a few times. He left that band, which was then called The Lost Souls, in 1967, and joins a Long Island band called The Hassles that had a record deal with United Artists. They would release two albums and a few singles, but they all failed to gain any notice. The band disbands, and Joel and the drummer, John Small, form a duo called Attila and release an album of the same name in 1970. The band breaks up when Joel has an affair with Small's wife, Elizabeth, whom Joel would eventually marry. During this time, Joel met a businessman, Artie Rip, who had a record label called Family Productions. Joel signs a 10-record deal with Rip. That's just crazy. Like, I, 10 records, first I, your first signing? Like, that's just nuts. I feel like it's just like, I want to make it, and agreeing to do 10 records is a good way to commit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that's not going to pan out well. <laughs> Funny you mention that. <laughs> Joel's debut record comes in 1971, Cold Spring Harbor. The album was named after a hamlet, basically a small village near his hometown of Huntington, New York. Through a production mistake in the mastering, the recordings were sped up, quickening the pace of all of the songs and also making Joel's voice sound higher. Unsurprisingly, Joel was upset at the result, and the album was a commercial failure despite having the classic ballad She's Got Away on it. Despite the all-around disappointment, Joel toured the U.S. and opened for prominent bands like Badfinger, Jay Giles Band, and even the Beach Boys. In 1972, a radio station in Philadelphia gets a live recording of the song Captain Jack from a studio performance that was broadcast over the airwaves. The song becomes a bit of a sensation, supposedly becoming one of the station's most requested tracks, and it catches the attention of Columbia Records exec Herb Gordon. Due to the snafu with the first record and Columbia seeing his potential, Joel makes a new deal with them. Rip sells Joel's contract to Columbia, but Rip retains the rights for his songs, which Joel would eventually get back years later thanks to Columbia. After signing the deal, Joel moves out to Los Angeles. In 1973, he releases Piano Man, featuring the iconic track of the same name. Let's listen here, just in case you've been living on another planet. <laughs> He actually spent six months playing piano in a bar in L.A., which inspired the track. The album sells decently, it is by no means a runaway hit, and reviews are mixed. He goes out on tour in the U.S. and Canada and gains some additional momentum from television appearances. Joel releases his third record in 1974, 
Street Life Serenade. That's the album we're going to talk about today, so I won't say too much about it right now, but you might be familiar with the record's most popular song, The Entertainer. I am the entertainer, and I know just where I stand. Another serenader, and another long-haired band. Today I am your champion, I may have won your hearts. But I know the game, you forget my name And I won't be here in another year If I don't stay on the charts I am the entertainer And I've had to pay my price That song hit number 34, but the album received middling reviews. Up to this point, Joel had been using session musicians for the records and touring musicians for the road. He embarks on a new record, returning to New York, with many songs paying homage to his home state. He tries to first record this new album with Elton John's backing band and producer James William Garceo in Colorado. Disappointed with the initial results, he scraps the sessions, decides to produce it himself, record it in New York, and use his touring musicians as his personal band. The result was 1976's Turnstiles. Here's a track that probably best represents that record, New York State of Mind. Some folks like to get away. Take a holiday from the neighborhood Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood But I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line I'm in a New York state of mind While Turnstiles produced a few songs that would later be fan favorites and staples of Joel's live shows, like Miami 2017, Seen the Lights Go Out on Broadway, and Prelude, Angry Young Man, the album didn't sell as well as Columbia had hoped, peaking at number 122. Nervous about Joel's prospects as a hitmaker for the label, Columbia suggested Joel team up with producer Phil Ramone, who had won a Grammy for his work on Paul Simon's 1975 record, Still Crazy After All These Years. Joel actually almost chose George Martin to produce, who famously worked with the Beatles, but refused based on the fact that Martin was going to use session musicians and Joel wanted to keep his own band. It turned out to be the right choice based on the results, and Ramon would continue to work with Joel into the mid-80s. 1977 would see Joel release The Stranger, which would be a huge commercial and critical success. The record spent 17 weeks in the top 10. There's a ton of famous tracks on this one, Just the Way You Are, Only the Good Die Young, and Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. But let's take a listen to the opening track and lead single, Moving Out, Anthony's Song. Anthony works in the grocery store, saving his pennies for someday. Mama Leone left a note on the door. She said, Sonny, move out to the country. Ah, but working too hard to give you a heart attack. You want to know by now. He needs a house out in Hackensack. Joel quickly capitalized on his newfound momentum and recorded and released his next record the following year, 1978's 52nd Street. It incorporated some jazz elements, the album title itself being a reference to the historic jazz scene in New York City in that area, and the location of Joel's Columbia label. It had positive reviews, and Joel had his first number one record off the success of tracks like My Life.
would go on to win a Grammy for Album of the Year and one for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. It's also worth noting that this album was one of the first to be released on compact disc. In 1980, Joel releases Glass Houses. That record also topped the charts, and he had his first number one single on the pop charts with It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress as trashy till you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound. Funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. What's the matter with the car I'm driving? Can't you tell that it's out of style? Should I get a set of white wall tires? Are you gonna cruise the Miracle Mile? Glass Houses had a bit of a harder edge for Joel, responding to critics who labeled him soft because of his ballads and more tender tracks. He was also responding to the new wave movement that had swept into the pop scene. The album wins him a Grammy for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance, and the record is named Favorite Pop Rock Album at the American Music Awards. In 1981, Joel put out Songs from the Attic, a live record from his Glass Houses tour that notably featured material from his earlier albums before his newfound fame, which was now better received, and for some, the first time they heard any songs from Cold Spring Harbor. Many of Joel's albums had been quickly recorded over the period of a few weeks, but he took more time working on 1982's The Nylon Curtain. The album finds Joel exploring deeper themes like disillusionment with the American dream, talking about the decline of the steel industry, and lamenting the loss of the type of steady employment and prosperity that previous generations had enjoyed on tracks like Allentown. While the nylon curtain is dark, his next effort, 1983's An Innocent Man, is much lighter. Joel paid tribute to the music he grew up on, 50s and 60s doo-wop, rhythm and blues, and soul. Behind the scenes, Joel was recently divorced from his first wife and began dating supermodels, leaving him feeling more youthful. Aww. So he indulged in this nostalgia for his teenage years through his music. This record is stupidly enjoyable. I'm probably one of the most cynical and pessimistic people that I know. <laughs> But this album is so damn earnest and happy that it's hard for me not to enjoy the hell out of this one. <laughs> it's, it is like a sugar rush in some points. So from that album, here's Uptown Girl. Joel's 10th record, The Bridge, fared more poorly than his last few previous efforts, both commercially and critically. But it did mark the end of his connection to Artie Rip, if you remember way back to the 10-record deal and eventually signing with Columbia and all that. The record didn't have as many big hits as the previous few releases. During the tour for the record, Joel famously played a few shows in Moscow and Leningrad in the Soviet Union. It was kind of a big deal for an American rock star to perform there. I won't go into all that, but there's a good documentary about it called A Matter of Trust, The Bridge to Russia, that chronicles the whole thing. 
The next record, 1989 Stormfront, had a few changes to his band's lineup. Joel replaced a guitarist and bass player and added a percussionist. The album featured another number one song from Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire. Twelfth, and very likely, probably definitely, final pop album from Joel was 1993's The River of Dreams. Here's the title track from that record. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep, from the mountains of faith, to the river so deep, I must be looking for something, something sacred I lost, but the river is wide, and it's too hard to cross. While Joel would go on to release an album of classical music, Fantasies and Delusions, and retrospective material and a few new tracks, he's made it clear he's done recording pop albums. But you can still catch him performing regularly, most consistently in Madison Square Garden, where he plays once a month, and he regularly ventures out to other major cities for shows. But now let's jump back to his third record, Street Life Serenade. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. I've been So we're jumping back here to 1973 to just to give a, a, a refresh here. So so Billy Joel's released one record that did really poorly because there was a problem with the mastering and it sounded awful. And then he released Piano Man, which even though it has probably one of the most well-known pop songs in all of history, uh, still didn't do that well on the charts and didn't sell that well and, and whatever. So he's living on Los Angeles. He's got two records under his belt that both, you know, weren't that big of hits. He's still surviving. He's, you know, he's a, he's a working musician. He's able to live his life and, and do what he needs to do. Only playing music. He doesn't have like a straight job or anything, but he's certainly not successful. So the piano man album doesn't do that well. And the Columbia records comes to him and is basically like, you need to put out a new record. Like you have to, like we need to get something else out to keep your career's momentum going. But Joel doesn't have enough material to make a new record at all. It's only been a year since Piano Man came out. So you have to kind of imagine like this guy who's lived in New York his whole life. He's now in Los Angeles, you know, a, a, a place that is, you know, for those of you who don't know, a very, very different city than, than New York. He's 
trying to make music in, in a high pressure environment. He's not famous. He's not successful and kind of feeling like a big fish out of water in a lot of ways. And that's kind of what this record sounds like. When you put on Street Life Serenade, you feel like this is a record that's an outlier and, and made by a guy who doesn't quite feel set. He doesn't quite feel that he belongs where he is. And we're going to get into that because the, the, songs, the, the song we're covering today, The Great Suburban Showdown, specifically deals with those kinds of themes. But let's just, let's just give it an idea of like where this record is within Billy Joel's career trajectory. So as I had mentioned in the history, Joel is using, using different musicians to basically record his albums and when he's out on the road. So he's not only trying to write an album that he doesn't have enough material for, but he's also trying to explain to these other musicians who he's not familiar with because he's out in L.A. and his first record was you know in New York. So these are all different people and trying to figure out how to explain to them what he wants on his album. So there's a lot of weird things that you don't hear on Billy Joel albums. You hear synthesizers and pedal steel guitar and all kinds of different stuff because basically anything goes. You 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 kind of get that feeling on here where it's like, I need some songs. You over there, start start, <laughs> start playing that bass and and just basically trying to cobble together an album. So you get this sense of the unevenness i guess when you when you listen to these songs that he he tried to create something cohesive here's here's a quote that he says about the record i wanted to make this album a lot simpler i wanted to keep it within the framework of a street life kind of sound i didn't want a big orchestral happening it was kind of a concept album not so much a concept from beginning to end it's just the overall production and the feeling of the material a street life concept so I'm not quite sure what he means with the street life concept, but a lot of the songs on this record kind of share similar feelings of not being at ease and not being at home. So there's the album or there's the song Los Angelinos, which is kind of critical of the hedonistic lifestyle that he sees people living. He also sings songs about people struggling to get by very much in the kind of piano man theme of that song. And it's just a lot of observational things. And you very much get the feeling that he's feeling detached from the place that he's in. And that's what makes the great suburban showdown. So interesting is it's one track of presumably Joel. It's an unnamed character of someone heading back East, presumably back home to New York from LA and kind of gr grappling with, with what coming home means. Well, my dad works so hard. Never lets the crabgrass grow too high. Oh, the place hasn't changed, and it's why I'm gonna feel so strange. But I have to face the music by and by. So this is kind of an interesting song in terms of how it starts off. There's this weird synthesizer part i'm not really sure what it sounds like i made the joke that it sounds like if anyone's ever played the nintendo game paperboy <laughs> that's that's like all i can think of when i hear it which is funny because of the suburbia thing of, yeah that's true of, yeah, of, yeah. You, you, yeah. You, basically for those of you who don't know you ride around on a, on a bicycle and try to deliver papers and not get 
tripped up by a dog or <laughs> have like somebody hit you with their car. <laughs> <laughs> Just like real life. <laughs> Just like real life. <laughs> so in this song, uh, I'll, I'll take a look at the lyrics. So it starts out flying east on a plane, drinking all that free champagne. I guess I saw this coming down the line and I know it should be fun, but I think I should have packed my gun. Got that old suburban showdown in my mind. So to set the stage here, the song is basically about someone. Again, we we're we're kind of presuming we're, that we're fairly Joel confident. is talking about himself. Yeah, this is we're fairly confident. This is a completely autobiographical song. So it's someone who's heading back home, and basically they're not looking forward to anything. So it, it might be coming home for a holiday or something, but they're basically just like I don't really care about seeing my parents, and it's going to be the same old boring stuff that I know because. Nothing about my hometown has changed. Right. And and everything there just doesn't interest me. So this very like jaded take on coming home. So the song continues with uh, sit around with the folks, tell the same old tired jokes, bored to death on Sunday afternoon, mom and dad, me and you, and the outdoor barbecue think I'm going to hide out in my room. So just just to clarify for some people who maybe don't don't know Billy Joel, you know, his whole thing. This is this is pretty this is pretty dark and pessimistic for Joel. Like Joel's always had a a good sense of humor with his with his lyrics and his craftsmanship. He's 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 always ready to put a little snark into things. You know, he's a New Yorker. He's got that New Yorker kind of sense, you know. But this is pretty dark. You know, it, it, he's talking about flying in to to back home with a gun. And then he's going to get there at this, you know, family gathering, let's just, let's just say like Thanksgiving or something and, and go and hide out in his room with this gun. <laughs> like, I mean, this is, this is not a happy song at all. It's a very pessimistic view of, of what should be by all, by all stretch of the means, a, a joyous occasion. It should be a time like, Oh, I'm, I'm, especially when you think about where Joel is in his life, he's at, he's in Los Angeles and we know from, from his, his you know his actual like interviews stuff like that but we also know from the rest of the songs on this record that he's not happy there like he's not having a good time in LA he feels very disjointed very out of place once again like I said fish out of water and he's going home and you would think that he would be like oh this is great I'm gonna go home and see the folks in the old town or but no he's like I'm bringing my gun and I am and gonna- if I get a chance I'll try to <laughs> try to off myself <laughs> rather than <laughs> and so it's 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 pretty intense and this is something we didn't we didn't touch on in the in the history but it should also be mentioned that prior to joel getting his his solo record deal and releasing cold spring harbor uh, joel did try to to commit suicide he he was you know in a in a bad state he suffered from depression and he tried to uh, kill himself by drinking a bottle of furniture polish uh he he obviously survived and everything is okay but but to to have a history of depression a a at least one you know, prominent suicide attempt. And to write this song, that's, that's definitely diving pretty, pretty dark and deep, uh, especially for, for somebody like Joel. So, so, so yeah, to, to keep all this in mind as we run through the lyrics of this song. And if you hear the song, you'd almost think it's, it's a country song. It tells story of, as, as we mentioned, someone coming back to their hometown, but it kind of turns all of it on its head by basically being, against everything that would be celebrated in, in a song like that where you're you're th- basically he's coming home and he's going to be like things haven't changed a bit 
if it was a country song, you'd be like, that is a great thing. That yeah. Nothing, nothing has changed and it's still the same old town. You're still sitting on the same kitchen chairs and, you know. That's like, and, that's and, what the course would be. So yeah. same old town, same <laughs> little chairs. And, <laughs> <laughs> and in the Great Suburban Showdown, this is basically the absolute worst yeah. for for the the the. The unnamed, the unnamed protagonist. The, the unnamed protagonist. Yeah. yeah. So, is that, yeah, like if you, because I think, I think the pedal steel kind of sends it off in that direction. But even if you took the pedal steel out, you still have that kind of ragtime piano sound. You still have that, that country song vibe to it. And yeah, if you were to take out Billy Joel's lyrics and put in a country singer, like, you know, I don't know, Garth Brooks or something, and have them sing over this track, it would, it would sound like a very basic country song. But of course, Garth Brooks would never do this song because it would be completely against the Garth Brooks brand of saying like family sucks. You know, that's not, that's not something that a country star would do, but you know, it, it once again just gives you a really good glimpse, you know, through this song into what Billy Joel's life was like at this time. And luckily we know that things are going to get better. We know that, you know, eventually he's going to have a big hit with The Stranger, which is, you know, only a few years away at this point. And there's still going to be some trials and tribulations. You know, there's still going to be uh, some lack of success on the way. But but we know that things are going to get better. But this is a snapshot of 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 Billy Joel at one of his lowest points and and it's interesting that we have this this kind of i don't know this kind of souvenir i guess is one word to put it of 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 that time It's interesting to note that the one hit from this album, The Entertainer, is Joel being very critical of the record label for, again, we it, it's not Joel saying, I am Billy Joel and I am saying <laughs> this about Columbia Records, but you very much get the sense that he's kind of calling out his own record label on this album that they're making him do and in a very meta way talking about I'm being very rushed to 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 make another hit, right? And, and, and even, what was the line? Uh, if you want to, ha- uh, no, no, it's I know the game. You'll forget my name. I won't be here in another year if I don't stay on the charts. So it's like very clear he's re- referencing the fact that the label's like you have to do this or you won't be here in another year and you won't stay on the charts. It's like very direct like call out of Columbia at the time. And in another part of the lyrics, again, to make this pretty transparent that this is Joel talking about his record label, he sings a few lines. It was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. If you're going to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down to 305, of which Piano Man is a very long song. If you've heard it, probably about seven minutes or so. And Joel is specifically talking about the fact that the record label was like, this is too long to use as a single. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to to chop some parts here. So it's it's pretty obvious where Joel's headspace is in terms of not only feeling feeling kind of disconnected from New York and also feeling like I'm getting all this pressure from the record label and even though I've had some success I'm still not really happy with with how I'm being treated. When the streets all look the same and I have 
town when this big bird touches down I'm only coming home to say goodbye then I'm gone with the wind just to touch on the end of the song to kind of think about that a little bit further so the last verse is drive into town when this big bird touches down I'm only coming home to say goodbye then I'm gone with the wind and I won't be seen again till that great suburban showdown in the sky till that great suburban showdown in the sky. So again, keeping it pretty dark, I kind of interpret this as the great suburban showdown that happens is in the sky kind of implies like after, after death. But I feel like he literally means I'm, I'm fighting how I'm feeling while I'm on this plane, basically getting drunk, (laughs) like not looking forward to what's coming. And I feel like the showdown is, is him I I agree like admitting like I'm depressed like I'm not happy in LA like I'm I'm leaving one suburb for another type of suburb and both are just not enjoyable to me so in the showdown I, I just got to make it through make it through to the next thing and me personally having been you know someone who suffered from depression I I can relate to the fact of I just got to get through this thing and then I'm and then I'm gone and I don't have to worry about it because you get pretty short-sighted in in how you deal with things so I feel like he's just saying here I just need to get through this and then I don't have to worry about home again I don't have to think about it even though it's unrealistic and he'll probably be back home at some other point in time for some other event but he's just saying right here all I got to do is just get through this this next thing one of the things that I came away with when I re-listened to this record for the first time in years I, I mean you know this is this is one of Billy Joel's more underappreciated records i feel like even his even his big fans kind of look to this record as kind of an anomaly that sits outside of of you know all the other ones that are are so monumental with so many hits and so many things going on but uh, the thing that i took away after listening to this was it reminded me so much of closing time which is an album by another artist named tom waits and we actually did an episode on a song from closing time martha uh, a skipped on shuffle episode i should say and 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 it kind of has a similar vibe to it, you know. I feel like the sound and the uh, the lyrical content and just the kind of overall lost and disjointed motifs that appear throughout the whole record of of this Billy Joel album really reminded me of that Tom Waits record. And it it's interesting to think of like maybe this is like Billy Joel's take on like Tom Waits because they're, they're they're right about the same time when they when they both came out. Yeah, I think I, I can see where you can you can hear the similarities. And I think a lot of that you get also from just kind of the different shifts of tone where they're all kind of like melancholic, but some are a little bit more celebratory, I, I guess, in terms of like, here's here's just how life is. I realize I don't have a great, but, you know, I'm 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 getting by. And, and and I feel like that's a strong thing for Joel is that relatability of, you know, the the common person right general american yeah yeah, yeah. Just, I, like, I, I see what, identify with this yeah yeah just like the <laughs> i see what you're going through and you know maybe maybe you're struggling and maybe i'm struggling but it's you know some kind of celebrating that shared experience of you know that we all go through this kind of thing and, and i can definitely get that sense with this album that feels so disjointed in terms of going back and forth between those feelings that i feel like is encapsulated in this you know single song where it's like 
if you just listened to the music and didn't hear the lyrics, you'd be like, oh, it sounds very like wistful and, you know, maybe maybe like a little hopeful. But then when you throw the lyrics on top of it, you're just like, it does not. <laughs> it does not feel that way. But there are, you know, those those similarities. And I mean, the album itself, I when I listened to this again, I was like, I think this is a really strong record. And I don't I mean, you get the sense that things are a little rushed and he could have had some more time. I mean, there's two instrumental tracks on here that clearly ki- like kind of convey tracks. like yeah. I didn't have enough time to do the lyrics and, and figure that part out. But I feel like there's some great rock tracks on here. Or, I love or, I love the opening track, Street Life Serenader. Yeah, like, I love I that one. That's, that's a great track. And I, I love like the weekend song. Yep. And, and again, talking about that relatability of it's people talking about, you know, I'm struggling to make it through the week. I don't have enough money. And then when the weekend comes, it's like, I'm going to spend all my money <laughs> and have a good time. You know, I feel like there's a lot that, you know, comes from things that Joel has observed. And I think that's a lot where the similarity to Tom Waits comes from, where you very much get a sense of here's this guy who's, played in this bar and has kind of like looked out at the crowd and probably, you know, watched someone out there for uh, uh, and some amount of time. And is just like, Oh, I think I get some sense of, you know, what this person's life might be like. And then, you know, goes back and kind of writes, writes a song about it, um, which is kind of what closing time is. And very much the, the same kind of vibe you get from street life serenade. With the neighbors there. We'll drive into town when this big bird touches down. I'm only coming home to say goodbye. Then I'm gone with the wind, and I won't be seen again till that great suburban showdown in the sky. Till that great suburban showdown in the sky. In 1989, when Stormfront came out, I was six years old, and Stormfront was huge. It was all over the radio. We didn't start the fire. I go to extremes. Down East or Alexa. I mean, you know, there the, are the massive, massive hits from this record. You, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing a Billy Joel song at some point. So I was six years old when that came out, and I, I remember. like I feel like six years old is when you start like really remembering your life. And then after that, in 1993, The River of Dreams came out, which, you know, was his final pop record and had that that song that we that we played earlier in the episode. And I thought that song was kind of cheesy. You know, I thought it kind of had this like white soul thing to it that I wasn't too into. And I was 10 years old by the time that came out. And, you know, I moved on from then, you know, then I got into rock, you know, hard rock music with grunge and the nineties rock movement that was happening at that point in time. And then Billy Joel never released anything after that. So for years I equated Billy Joel to Stormfront and river of dreams. And I knew obviously piano man existed and I knew there were other songs in his, in his catalog because I heard them on the radio, but I didn't really go back and appreciate anything before then. And I just kind of wrote him off as like this, like super popular cheese artist or something, you know? It wasn't until I was in my 20s or late teens, early 20s, uh, that I started working at a record store with with Jason. That's how we met. And I, I, I don't remember I don't remember if we had to play it or if we we just put it on. But The Stranger, which we mentioned was Billy Joel's like, you know, biggest, most important record. They the, the record label put out a new legacy edition of The Stranger. First disc was the remastered album. The second disc had a live set on it. And we played that at the record store. And the first thing that I thought when we started playing, it was like, oh my God, I know every one of these songs. Like, how do I know all these songs? I've never heard this album before. And that's because 
pretty much like like 80% of the album are number one hits. Well, not number one hits, but big hits. And I remember being like, wow, like not only do I know all these songs, but I really like this album. This has like a really good flow to it. All the 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 craftsmanship of the songwriting itself, the production values, everything about it is great. Billy Joel's voice is great. His piano playing is great. The band that he has playing with him is great. It was just great. And I was like, wow, like maybe I, you know, I've written off Billy Joel a little bit as being one thing and that's not really what he is. And so from then on, I started like diving a little deeper into his catalog. And once again, the, the more, I, the deeper I dove, the more I realized like how many hits this guy has, how many great songs he's had from his entire career, all the way from Cold Spring Harbor. Like, you know, that, that album has, she's got away on it, which is, you know, one of his best songs. And then all the way through till, you know, even, even the river of dreams, which still has some good material on it. So it's like, it was it was very eye opening to me to realize how how I had written Billy Joel off for for a large chunk of my life and and how I definitely shouldn't have done that because this guy just like creates some some um, truly truly amazing music and I I feel bad kind of that I kind of you know wrote him off for as long as I did but now I feel you know very grateful that that he has put out all this great material and, and I get to enjoy it. And now I have all of his records and, you know, some of them are better than others. You know, I, I probably listen to the stranger the most, like the stranger is quite amazing. And that live disc that comes with the legacy edition of the stranger is awesome. So, you know, there's some things that I kind of skip over or maybe like think to myself, Oh, this isn't as good or whatever, but, but I definitely appreciate Billy Joel on a much deeper level than I did before. And I think that's something that, that, other people might find gratification in if they take the time to do it as well and move beyond just like, you know, the greatest hits. But then again, at the same time, if you've got to start somewhere, go ahead and get a double disc greatest hits collection of Billy Joel. Don't get a single disc. Make sure you don't get a single disc because if you get a single disc, you're only going to, you're going to miss like at least 10 number, you know, big, big, big hits from it. I mean, at least, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, even two discs doesn't fit. Yeah, even everything. two discs doesn't encapsulate everything that he that you know all the big hits that he's had. So get a get a double disc greatest hits and start there and and you know and then once you realize you know oh I like this era I like this thing then just go a little deeper than that and I I guarantee you you're gonna find so much stuff that you really really enjoy. I think my family has always been Billy Joel fans because my parents have the vinyl records and cassette tapes and actually our first CD purchase was a single of the river of dreams that was the first cd we ever had in our house i remember us being super fascinated with like look at this shiny shiny this magic disc <laughs> <laughs> so silly to think about now but i i'm pretty sure that was the first cd we we ever had in our house i've always enjoyed billy joel and i had the essential billy joel which is you know two disc set of most of the big hits and i really enjoyed it but I never listened to any of the records more specifically, despite that, you know, them being around in the house and everything and, you know, hearing the songs on the radio. It wasn't until way later in 2006, I was actually living on Long Island and my girlfriend at the time was a big Billy Joel fan. And when I say big fan, I mean, love also love the greatest hits. <laughs> and Billy Joel was playing a series of shows at Madison Square Garden this was before his once a month run that he's like doing now where basically it was based off of the success of these these original shows. So he did a run of 12 sold out shows at Madison Square Garden and I got tickets to the first night of that that run of shows. 
So I remember sitting at the computer, you know, like when, when things go on sale at like exactly 10 a.m. and you like hop in there to, to get tickets. So I got tickets. It's not that I wasn't excited to go to the show because I'm like, I like Billy Joel. Like, but I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting much. And I think it's a lot of the time when you see an older artist performing, everyone's just kind of a, a, a little bit chill. It's just sort of like you go in, you sit down, they play, you leave. You're just like, they... They perform the songs that sounded like they did on the... What a competent performance. Yeah, yeah I, 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 feel like, I feel like sometimes you do, you know, w- walk away with that. So we go to the show and I am blown away. Like it was such a good show. Billy Joel's band was so good. He had so much energy. And there, there certainly is something to being in Madison Square Garden. But the crowd... They love Billy Joel. I mean, I know that's <laughs> that sounds crazy because it's just like, well, why would you like go to see a band of someone you didn't? But I mean, these people like could not get enough. And it was just that like electricity in the air uh, of that show. And to this day, I, I would put that up there as one of the best shows that I've ever been to. And I don't know if it was just because I, I was expecting something just kind of like, oh, that was that was good. I enjoyed that. But I was I was totally blown away, and it made me rethink of uh, think differently about Billy Joel as being this really amazing performer. In addition to obviously being a great pianist and and great lyricist, and and have, you know writing all these these iconic songs. So that that just kind of completely changed my perception of who Billy Joel is. That after all this time, it's it's kind of hard because. I think you hear so much Billy Joel. You had mentioned like, oh, I know all these songs and you're never sure where yeah. where you heard them. Because I think it's like Billy Joel is so insanely popular that even if you don't specifically go out to listen to Billy Joel, just a few of these hits have somehow like permeated your being and entered your brain, whether you <laughs> whether you realize <laughs> it or not from, you know, I've maybe something being used in a movie or a TV show or walking around like a mall or a grocery store. It's just like, there's just so many songs. And as we talked about, it's like, you can't even figure out where they come from and you can't even fit them all in, in one collection. So Billy Joel, at least for the, the remaining years that Madison square garden will be open has basically agreed to just continually do a show every month at Madison Square Garden. So if you get the opportunity, they're probably selling tickets for, a, I mean, it's it's November right now. They're probably selling tickets for shows in like next August or, <laughs> you know, next year right now. But I, I really recommend, you know, go to see him live because it's just a totally mesmerizing experience, despite the fact that, you know, in even if you listen to the live album and even if you get a live DVD, it was just something entirely different. And doing it in New York is definitely the best place to do that. So while Scott recommends that you get a two disc set, I say spend hundreds of dollars of your money <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and go see Billy Joel perform. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.